Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. This morning we're continuing in our series on true faith, and we'll be talking about Abraham, the father of our faith. Last week we had Mother's Day, and mothers, I'm sorry, but one weekend's all you get. We're moving on to sort of spiritual Father's Day today. And uh, this sermon is for everyone, but it's particularly for any of us who've dealt with wondering if we're good enough for God to call us, to enable us, to uh, help us to succeed, to help us walk in the path that he's laid before us. Um, I think this is an encouraging thing for us. Also, for those who have struggled with faith before, if you think faith is too big for you, it's something that you can't do, we're going to see some things about Abraham today that will help us, I think overcome that. So uh, a couple weeks ago, I made a couple points about faith. I want to bring those back. I want to add to them. I've called these today the five facts of faith. And the first three are the ones I talked about a couple weeks ago, and those are faith is not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. The second one is faith doesn't guarantee receiving anything in a particular period of time, even if it's a promise of God. So sometimes the thing that we receive is future, and we have to wait for it. And then the third thing is faith requires action. So those are three we talked about a couple weeks ago, and then I want to add these two. We're going to see even more today. The fourth, uh, I've called them facts of faith, just an alliteration. You know, if there are six facts of faith, it doesn't sound as good, right? So uh, four is faith like any relationship of trust. We talked about how faith is trust. Faith can grow over time. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what am I doing to build my faith? What am I doing to build my trust? And then the fifth one is, whose idea is it anyway? Sort of a play on whose line is it anyway? Uh, Whose idea is it anyway? Uh, As with any relationship of trust, sometimes the promise or the thing that we want or the thing that God wants, sometimes it's something that we instigate. We go to God and we say, hey, God, I think this is you know, where you're leading me, is this right or not? And sometimes it's God's idea. Sometimes the thing that comes to us is God's idea. And we're going to see that in Abraham's life. So if you have a Bible, we're going to open up in Hebrews chapter 11. We're basically going to be in Hebrews and Genesis this morning, although we're going to take a little side jaunt into Romans 4. But in Hebrews chapter 11, again, this was sort of the foundational chapter for this series. And um, we're going to read about Abraham here. In the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll start in verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. And we've talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago how this is sort of um, the focus of the whole passage here in Hebrews 11. The promise, the main promise that they don't inherit in this chapter is this promise of a city whose builder and maker is God. And that is talking about the kingdom of God that we talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks a couple months ago. Uh, one thing I want to point out about this uh, section before we go back to Genesis and talk a little bit more about this that he's talking about here in Hebrews is one commentary talks about how Abraham did not hesitate to obey. 
And we're going to unpack that a little bit more when we get to Genesis. But Abraham did not hesitate. And he left immediately not knowing where he was going. I thought that was fantastic. He obeyed the first time. Uh, another thing I want to point out here before we move on is that it talks about him living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And this language of living in tents is the language of exile. And John Ely helped us talk a little bit about language of exile uh, a couple about a month ago or so. And so we're to pick up from this language here, this exile language, that we are to live like exiles as well. Now, we, live, we don't live in tents like Abraham did, but... We're to view this life, our plans and the things that we do, our jobs, all the things that we do that are not necessarily godly, they're things that we have to do. These things that we do, we're waiting for this city whose builder and maker is God. That's what we're waiting for. We're living as exiles. Another thing here is, verse 10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city that had foundations, and that was uh, looking forward would be better translated. He was always looking forward to. This is a past tense that has continual action in the past. He was always looking forward to the kingdom. He, was, he was, had the hope of the kingdom in his thoughts continuously. So now we can turn back to Genesis chapter 12. I want to dig into this a little bit more, this first example of faith in Abraham's life. And just to give a little bit of background, Genesis 11 starts with the Tower of Babel. It gives a whole bunch of genealogies of Shem, who was one of the sons of Noah. And then in Genesis, at the very end of Genesis 11, it talks about Abram is his name at this point. Uh, His dad was Terah, and Terah actually leads his whole family out of Ur, the Chaldees, into a place called Haran. And it's interesting that it, the Bible specifically says that Torah was the one who led their family out of Ur of the Chaldees. And um, elsewhere in the Bible, we find out that uh, God also appeared to Abraham before he left Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, but it seems like Torah and Abram also sort of had this like joint call at one point where they both were sort of heading the same direction. Um, but then Torah died in Haran, as it says at the very end of chapter 11. A couple other interesting things to note is that Sarai's name and the name Milcah, which is in the family, both indicate that the family worshipped the Akkadian moon god. Okay, so these are not godly people to start out with. This is not, it's not like God looked at Abram and Abram was like, oh, look, there's a righteous guy among this whole group of righteous people. There were no people of God at this point. There were no righteous people. They were all worshipping other gods. And what's interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us much about this, and there's, there's debate about how all the timing, you, if you work with one text, you work with another text, either Terah, uh, Abram's father, died, and then Abram left, which is what Stephen says in Acts, or it's possible that Terah decided to give up on this goal of going to the promised land, and then Abram decided to go without him, and he sort of spiritually died in Haran, whatever, however you want to view that. But the point is, is that Abram continues this call. He doesn't stop. He starts in Ur of the Chaldees, he continues on into Haran, and then he moves on to this land that God's going to show him. So in Genesis chapter 12, let's read this in the original record. It says, Now the Lord, or Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, 
So Abram went as the as Lord Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So Abram has to go. He has to leave. He cannot stay in Haran. If he stays in Haran, boom, end of story. He probably never gets written down in this book uh, in the Bible. But if he does leave, if he obeys this voice, uh, then he's going to receive some, some incredible blessings. Um, he's going to be made into a great nation. Um, he's going to, uh, God is going to bless Abram. He's going to make him great. Uh, he, and then Abram, through all this, is going to be a blessing to the greater world. I want to point out, too, we didn't read all the way through verse 7, but if we continued reading, he has to go to Canaan before he receives uh, the promise of the land. So God's telling him, you go to this land, and then you know, Abram sort of shows up, and then after he obeys, that's when God says, okay, this is the land I'm going to give you. God doesn't say that that's going to be his land before he leaves. He just says, go to the land, and Abram does it, and he obeys. So Abram has to continue trusting in God and building that relationship with God uh, to, to experience further blessings. He has to continue in his obedience uh, to get those additional blessings and to get additional information. So I just want to pause and consider how wild this record is because I, don't, I think a lot of us, uh, we're familiar with this account. And so uh, sometimes I think it's good for us to slow down and take some time and really consider what's going on here. If we continued reading in Genesis chapter 12, we'd come across an account of Abram and Sarai going into Egypt because of a famine. And before they go in, I mean, this is the guy that trusted God to lead him into this place. He didn't even know where he was going. And he ends up telling Sarai, his wife, who's also his half-sister, hey, let's pretend when we go into Egypt that you're my sister and so, because you're so beautiful, and then they won't kill me because if not, they're going to kill me. So is Abram, when you think about a leader, in our, especially in our culture, modern culture, but I think it was true in their culture as well based on what, how Jesus interacts with people during his ministry, we think of a leader as like this type A, go-getter, strong-willed, I'm going to get this done kind of a guy. And the like 10th verse into reading about Abram's life, he's like, hey, let's just act like you're not my wife, you're my sister when we go into this foreign land, okay? Abram is not a type A, go-getter kind of guy. He's sort of a little bit type B, honestly. He's a little bit laid back. He's a little bit go with the flow. I mean, he started this whole journey under his dad's authority, and then while he, while he gets under that authority, one of the first thing he does is tells his wife, hey, you know, let's, let's just act like we're not married. I mean, for those of us who are married, men of, you know, how, how much are we going to defend our wives? Like, that's the first thing we're going to defend, right? And yet Abram was like, no, 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 let's just not act like we're married. So Abram is sort of like this type B, timid, go with the flow kind of guy. He's from a moon-worshiping culture. Why do you think God picked him out? Oh, and by the way, he's got a barren wife. And he wants a guy who's going to be the progenitor of this great race. You talk about a guy that you'd want to pick for this job. Abram doesn't strike me as the kind of guy I would pick. He'd be like way down on the list. He doesn't have any of the qualities I'm really looking for. Can you imagine the angels around the water cooler in heaven looking at this situation? God's like, hey, hey, uh, check this out, Michael. Uh, you see that guy right there? Yeah, boss, I see him. 
yeah, that's the guy I'm going to make into a great nation. And Michael's like, what are you talking about? Gets his binoculars out like, what are you seeing this guy, God? Oh, man. And then Michael goes to the water cooler. Can you believe what Yahweh said to me today? You see this guy? This guy is the guy that's going to start this whole thing? Yeah. I don't believe it either. Now, think about this from Abram's perspective, because as wild as it is from God's perspective, it's also wild from Abram's perspective. He hears this voice one time that tells him to go into this other land that he doesn't know where he's going. I'm like, what? I mean, he lives in civilized society. He has a modest amount of wealth that says that he's acquired people when he was in Haran. Like, he has this entourage of people. So he's, you know, he lives in a city. He lived in multiple cities. Uh, he has a, a relatively comfortable life. And then this random voice tells him to leave all of that and to take his extended family and go into this land that he doesn't know where he's going. I mean, think about us. I think about myself. I get concerned if my phone battery is a little drained before I get in the car and go someplace, even if I know relatively where I'm going. This guy didn't even know where he was going. There was no GPS. There are no maps. Like, God's just, this random voice is telling him, hey, go, go this place. I'm going to show you where it is. It's just wild, wild to me. So when we think about this episode, let's talk about the five facts of faith here. First one, faith is not about me, it's about him. Uh, God called Abram out of moon worship. If God doesn't call Abram, Abram ends up an idolater the rest of his life. God made the first move and he did it out of grace. Abram did not deserve God's call. And honestly, like I said, there's nothing even from what we know from the Bible, there's nothing in his life that makes him worthy of the call that God puts on him. There's nothing. God makes the first move. The second thing about faith is that it doesn't guarantee receiving anything in a specific time frame. And, you know, it says in Hebrews that Abram lived in tents his whole rest of his life. He didn't really own any of the land that he was on. And he's still waiting for the fulfillment of this promise in the kingdom of God. The third one, faith requires action. We saw that Abram had to uh, obey the first set of commandments. God told him to leave, and he has to leave. If he doesn't leave, he doesn't get the land. He doesn't get the land promise. He doesn't get the blessings of sons. He doesn't get any of this through God. And so he has to travel to Canaan, or else this would have been the end of the road. The fourth thing is faith can grow or diminish over time. Well, as Ab Abram walked with God, he continued to grow in that relationship. And we can see in Genesis 12, again, we didn't read the section, but the section about him handing over his wife to the Egyptian uh, king, uh, even when Abram doesn't get it, even when Abram is lacking in faith and is like, I'm going to figure out a way to, to do this, God still rescues him. God still saves him from the repercussions of that. And I think that would have had to build Abram's faith in God through that episode and beyond. And then the fifth one, whose idea is it anyway? Well, this idea of leaving and becoming a great nation was definitely God's idea. <laughs> this was not Abram's idea. Although I think it was attractive to Abram. I mean, he left, right? He went. He decided to go. So what we can learn from this is that everything that Abram did, everything that Abraham did, it began with God. It started and ended with God. God had extended himself to Abraham, and then Abraham grew in that trusting relationship with God. And the same is true with us. We're going to see that that's, this is a type, a lot of what Abraham does is a type for how we experience our walk through Christ. Now, the second episode I want to talk about is the promised son. You can turn to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. 
So the second episode of faith is Abraham believing God's promise about having a son with Sarah. In Genesis 15, God talks to Abram, and then the top of the mind question that Abram has is, hey, you told me I'm going to be the father of all these nations. I don't even have an heir other than this guy who's my, uh, he's my servant, you know. And God tells him that Abram's offsprings will outnumber the stars. And so when Abram believes that, that's Genesis 15, 6. That's when it says God counts that belief of that promise for righteousness. That's where that gets used. So then God makes a covenant with Abram. And in Genesis 16, Abraham has a son with Hagar, Sarah's maiden. So he figures out a way he's going to get it done on his timing because he's not waiting for God's timing. He's now 86 years old. In Genesis 17, which is another 13 years later, Abram's now 99, and this is where God changes his name. So we're going to pick it up right after God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So we're going to pick it up with uh, Sarai's name being changed to Sarah. So verse 15 here, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I want to pause here just for one minute. We often, you know, Isaac's name means laughter. We often point to Sarah's laughing, which comes here in a little bit, as to the reason why Isaac gets named laughter. But just to defend our homegirl Sarah here for a moment, I want to point out that Abraham was the first one who laughed when he was told this. The man of faith was the one who laughed at this promise of God. He fell on his face and he laughed. And he offered God an alternative. Verse 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. I have this 13-year-old son, God. Just let him be the one who you bless. This was not, again, a lot of Abraham's life, like he's offering things to God and God's like, No, I've got this better thing for you. It's amazing. This isn't, this, these aren't Abraham's ideas. These are God's ideas. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But, verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. We can turn to Romans chapter 4. We're going to see what the Apostle Paul says about this particular account in Romans. This is a pivotal moment in Abraham's life um, where he, he receives the blessing of a son who will be the father of the one who was renamed Israel and who had you know, the 12 tribes out of him. And that's where we get the nation of Israel. And then the nation of Israel leads to Jesus. And then Jesus leads to us, right? That's how we, we all get here. In a synagogue, no less, right? So in Romans 4, the context here is Paul is talking about the relationship between faith or trusting God and works. He's trying to unpack here a lot of things. And his point in this about faith and about uh, grace, and about righteousness, is that God moves first. God moves first. Well, did we see that with Abraham? Did God move first with Abraham? Yeah, God moved first, and then God moved again, and God moved again. <laughs> Even when Abraham wasn't quite getting everything right. 
Um, So God moved first, calling Abraham when he was unrighteous. Abraham then believed God, and God counted that faith, that trust in him as righteousness. And that's grace and mercy. That's the definition of grace and mercy. But the question that Paul is going to, is sort of behind what Paul's saying, and I think it's important for us to consider is, did Abraham do things because he had faith in God, he trusted in God? Yeah, there were certain things that Abraham did do. Uh, in the context in Genesis and here in Romans, Paul brings up uh, the idea of Abraham obeying God's commands to move, about he, trusting in, he trusted in God's promise about a child, and then about the covenant which was sealed in circumcision. And Paul's point is circumcision came after the faith did. The faith came first, then the circumcision. But Abraham still did the circumcision thing. He still obeyed what God told him to do. But that was a sign of the trust that already existed. So that's a little bit about what we're leading up to in Romans chapter 4. In verse 13, we'll pick it up. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, did not come through the law of Moses, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So basically what verse 14 is saying is, If adherence to the Mosaic law was what we required to be justified or to be righteous, then we'd all screw it up. (laughs) Then then none of us have a chance. No one's going to succeed. So uh, verse 15 is saying that the Mosaic law brought wrath to the people of Israel because they knew better. And so the word here that's used is not sin, but it's transgression. A sin is something that we do, and it can mean things that we know that's wrong and things that we don't know are wrong. But a transgression is something very specific that we know this is wrong. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that Israel got additional wrath because they knew better and they still disobeyed. That's the point he's making here. So let's keep reading here in 16 about what the the, the thing about faith is in this context. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So this is his point. He's saying, if we were to do it of our own volition, we'd screw it up. So we needed to have God act first, and then we have to be faithful in response to what God says. And that's what we see in Abraham's life. We already saw it. We're going to see it again and again and again. That God acts first, and then Abraham does what God says to do, and he's faithful enough. He doesn't do it perfectly. Praise God. We don't do it perfectly either, do we? We, He does it faithfully, though. He obeys faithfully, and so that's where the blessing comes in. And if you notice here, it says, not only to the adherent of the law, that's the Jew, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Those are the Gentiles he's talking to. That's us. He's the, Abraham becomes the father of even the Gentiles because of our faith in God, because we share the faith of Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, 
fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness, end quote. So here we see that um, when we trust in God, just as Abraham did, we receive the promises that God has for us. And again, for Abraham, there were certain things that he had to do. He had to leave the land. Eventually, he has to get circumcised. Uh, you know, there are things that he has to do. And as he continued to act, God continued to build that relationship with him. And so the same is true for us. And he's going to get to that. We're not going to read the rest of the verses, but he's going to literally apply this to us as God moving first towards us in grace through Christ and us receiving that in faith by trusting what he has accomplished through Christ. And so our journey in faith begins similarly to Abraham's journey in faith. God called Abraham and said, I'm going to send you someplace you don't know where you're going. And Abram gets up and he goes. God does the same thing for us through Christ. He says, I've got good things for you in Christ. Do you trust me? Will you follow? And that's when we begin our relationship in Christ. We follow him. On verse 20, I want to point out there's a lot of... Um, you know, concern when we think about faith, about wavering and doubting, and what does all that mean? Uh, verse 19 talks about how he did not weaken in faith when he considered the fact that he was very old, the fact that Sarah was relatively old, and that she had been barren her whole life. This is what Douglas Moo in his New International Commentary on the New Testament says about this verse, verse 20, about no unbelief making him waver. It says, quote, when God uh, when Paul says that Abraham did not doubt because of unbelief, he means not that Abraham never had momentary hesitations, but that he avoided a deep-seated and permanent attitude of distrust and inconsistency in relationship to God and his promises. Unlike the double-souled person who displays a deeply rooted division and attitude towards God, James 1, 6-8, Abraham maintained a single-minded trust in the fulfillment of God's promise. End quote. So the point here is, it's not that we cannot consider something around us and say, man, this seems like difficult circumstances. I mean, the Psalms are filled with that. Uh, you can see here Abraham laughed when he received this promise from God. I mean, the fact that we have doubts in the first place, that's not a problem. That doesn't limit our faith. It doesn't have to limit us. It's where do we end up? Do we end up staying there, not knowing, not trusting, not believing? Or do we eventually get around to, yes, I believe God, I trust in him. I think he's going to bring his promises to pass. That's what Abraham did, and that's what we can do as well. What did Abraham do to get to that point where he could do that? Well, it says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 20, it says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he did what? He gave glory to God. So his praise and his worship and his adoration of God is what helped him get beyond these momentary doubts and into the faith that, that took him through, that carried him through. And he did eventually become fully convinced, as it says in verse 21, that God could do what he had said he was going to do. So let's look, about, look at this situation in light of the five facts of faith. Number one, faith is not about me, it's about him. Romans 4.17 says that Abraham believed in the God who, quote, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, end quote. So Abraham continued praising God through the doubt. He looked to God and he said, I believe that God will do this. It's about him. It's not about Abraham. 
Number two, faith does not guarantee anything in a specific time frame, even a promise from God. Look, Abraham receives his promise when he's 75 years old. He doesn't receive it for 25 years. He's already an old man when he receives the promise, and he has to wait another 25 years. And oh, by the way, about that midpoint in between those two things, he tries to take matters into his own hands. So it's not on, on his timetable, it's on God's timetable. Number three, faith requires action. Abraham had to continue in obedience to God over an extended time frame. And if you read through the early parts of Genesis, you see all the things that Abraham did. Number four, faith can grow or diminish over time. Notice that Abraham considered the facts of the situation just like we often do in our situations in life. We consider what's going on in our lives. But he was basically dead. Sarah had always been barren. But Romans 4.20 says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That's a great example for us as we want to build our trust and faith in God. And finally, whose idea is it anyway? Well, Abraham wanted God to accept Ishmael. <laughs> that, was, that was Abraham's idea. Uh, but God had something bigger in mind. So now we're going to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. The last episode that I want to talk about, and we're not going to talk about it comprehensively, is Abraham offering his son Isaac. The original account is in Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to say this is a controversial passage. And depending on your view of God's foreknowledge, uh, you're going to interpret this passage, and you can interpret it a number of different ways. There are certain like facts that we can all agree on, and there's like the perspective we bring to that passage and how we slice it and dice it. But uh, I'm just going to try to give you the facts about the situation, then we're going to focus on the faith piece of it. I'm not going to focus on um, the other aspects of it, even though there's like, I mean, you could do like a whole series on just this episode. It's really, really interesting. But this is what I'm going to say about it. God asked Abraham to offer Isaac as a burnt offering on this mountain that he's going to show him. And I think it's intentional that that call to a mountain that God's going to show him is similar to what he says in, in Genesis 11 and 12, where he says, you're going to go to this land, I'm going to show you. So we're supposed to, I think, understand that there's like a parallel sense of calling here, except this is like ratcheting the, the temperature up quite a bit, I think. Um, so then Abraham takes Isaac and two young men on this journey to find this mountain, and then they eventually leave the other two guys behind, and they journey up alone, just Abraham and Isaac. So then Abraham builds an altar, and he's about to kill Isaac when an angel intervenes, okay? So that's what Genesis says. Those are the facts of the situation. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is what it says about it. In verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19 tells us why. He considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Because Abram had already, Abraham had already offered up Isaac in some sense mentally that when God, when the angel said, stop, don't do this, he did receive his son back from the dead. Now the Bible describes this as a test, and it says elsewhere that God does not tempt us with evil. Uh, but I do think he allows us to face trials and tests in this life. And as a former math teacher, I'll tell you that when I gave a test, I made sure that the person performing the test was well prepared for that test. I wanted all my students to get 100% on every test that I ever gave them. Now, did that happen? No, that did not happen. But 
I think God did give Abraham everything he needed to pass this test. And, and God said in Genesis that he did pass the test. And he passed the test by his extreme trust in God. And Hebrews tells us why. Because he had to believe that this promise was coming through Isaac. And so Abraham in his mind is like, well, if he wants me to offer him up, I'm going to offer him up and then he's going to raise him from the dead. And again, there's all these different ways to unpack that. Maybe he was thinking that Isaac was the Messiah. There's all these different ways we can filter through and think about all these things. I'm not going to get into all that. My point is, is that Abraham trusted in God. He thought God told him to do something. Then he was, by golly, going to obey that and do what God told him to do. And so he trusted that God was able to do that, to take care of him and take care of Isaac. So talking about this episode briefly, the five facts on this uh, incident. Faith is not about me. It's about him. Abraham, it says very explicitly here in Hebrews Abraham believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. His trust was in God. He knew that if something happened to Isaac, that God would be able to take care of him. Second, faith does not guarantee receiving anything in a specific time frame, even a promise from God. Look, Abraham wasn't sure how this was all going to come out, how this was going to happen, but he trusted that God was going to work it all out. Number three, faith requires action. I don't think there's a more poignant action you can take as a father than offering up your your son. I mean, I just can't even get into the headspace of what Abraham must have done. Um, And the record in Genesis talks about how it took days to get up to that mountain. I mean, come on now. I would have probably packed up halfway and been like, we're going to go over here and do something else. But Abraham continued, and he offered up Isaac. Number four, faith can grow or diminish over time. You know, Abraham wants an heir his whole life, and through his relationship with God, he trusted God even to the point of offering that son up, this heir that he wanted. And so do you think Abraham would have been ready for this in Genesis 12? No. It took years and years of building that faith. He wasn't even willing to go into Egypt with his wife as his wife in Genesis 12. So his faith and trust clearly grew over time. I think this is a great example for us as well. And finally, whose idea is it anyway? I mean, talking about this account, do we even have to answer this question? This was not Abraham's idea. This was not Abraham's idea. The offering of Isaac was God's idea. So I want to point out that the offering of Isaac, I think, displays why we can call Abraham the father of our faith to the, to the highest degree. Because there is one thing about Abraham that was unique. We talked earlier about, you know, he's sort of type B, go with the flow. He's sort of, you know, um, you know, he's married to this woman who's barren. He doesn't have anything of the things that you'd think you'd want in the father of a group of nations. And yet God called him. And there's a reason why God called him. And there's a reason why he's called the father of our faith. And that is because the unique thing about Abraham was that Abraham trusted God with everything. That's the thing that set Abraham apart. He even trusted him with the thing that he cared about the most, his son. And that's where we see the typology with God. In the same way God offered Jesus to us when we needed him most and we least deserved it. So what about us? As we close the sermon this morning, I think we should think about this. What about us? Do we trust God like Abraham did? Do we trust him with every aspect of our lives or just 80% of our lives? Are we willing to offer anything that God would ask us to offer up?
our careers, our abilities, our children, not necessarily like this, like putting them on an altar. I'm saying mentally understanding that they're God's children, that God has given me this grace and that I'm a steward of that grace. This is why Abraham is the father of faith, because he held nothing back from God. Nothing. He trusted him with everything. And so I think that that's an encouragement for us this morning to get to that point. Abraham wasn't there in Genesis 12 but he was by the end of his life. So what are we doing in our lives to build our trust like Abraham did, to get us to the point where we can offer up everything to God so we can serve him to the greatest that he's called us to, the things that he wants us to do? Let's pray. Father, what an amazing man Abraham was, and it wasn't because of him, Father. It's because of you and your enablement in his life. Lord, I praise you for calling him and for giving him to us as an example of our faith, that we can learn to develop our relationship with you just like Abraham did over time and through trials and difficulties and good things and bad things. We see the blessings that you've called us to. We see the things that you've laid out for us, the good works it says in Ephesians 2 that you've called us all to. And Father, we, we just ask for you to continue to help us to do that. Help us to follow in the footsteps of your son, Jesus. Help us to see his sacrifice and see his faith and see his love and emulate those things powerfully in our own lives as well. And so, Father, we're just thankful today that we have another day to draw breath and to, to serve you and to serve those in love around us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.